0: Well, good morning, church. Nine o'clock did way better. Good morning, church. There we go. Nice to see you today. Uh, take your Bibles uh, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm looking at a couple of verses there this morning, 2 Corinthians 4. Um, I woke up on uh, January uh, 1st, uh, last Saturday, eight days ago, and I had this new devotional book called Be Thou My Vision. Uh, kind of forms this little liturgy. It was a different way for me to do uh, devotion, starting off this year to spend that time with the Lord in the morning. Anyways, I, I got into it for the first time, January 1st. This is the time you start things like this. And I opened up the book, pulled it out of its nice sleeve that it's in, and opened it up and started working through the dedication page. And you see that. And then very often in a lot of Christian books, you'll see uh, um, a blank page, except for like a scripture verse that's there. And obviously, the author would pick that as like this is a really significant verse or two that relates to this book. And I got to that page and I looked at the page and I read the two verses. And here's, here's what I read. Here's the two verses up on the screen. It's the two verses we're going to look at this morning. For this is uh, 2 Corinthians 4 17, 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I read those two verses, and before I even got to like day one in the devotional, because I never actually got there, which means, you know, as of January 1st, I was already one day behind on my devotionals. But I, I, I read those two verses, and I said, everybody needs to hear these verses. In light of where we're all at, As individuals and as families right now with this pandemic, everyone needs to hear these two verses. Because by January the 1st, eight days ago, we already knew that Omicron was going to give us a really rough ride getting into the new year. We all knew it. There was no secret about that. And so by 8.30 a.m. on New Year's Day, bear in mind, I celebrated the New Year's with St. John's Newfoundland. and was in bed by 10.30. okay because I'm smart. So I didn't stay up to midnight, so I was up nice and early. By 8.30 a.m., I had decided to bump the start of the new series that we had uh, that was supposed to start today and preach this message instead, preach on these two verses. I, by 8.30 in the morning, I drafted an outline. I had sent that outline out to staff, pastors and directors. I had sent it out to the elders And I was looking for confirmation from them that changing it up for this Sunday was actually the right move to delay the start of the series. And I was, you know, I wanted to know that I was right in thinking that this was a message that everybody needed to hear. That I was right in thinking that we needed to talk about this lingering pandemic. In fact, the thing we really needed to talk about as Christians was our response as Christians to this lingering pandemic. Because we're facing not only the pandemic itself, but all of its related and various effects. So 8.30 in the morning, I send the outline out. A couple of hours later, I receive a message from a member in the church who wouldn't have any idea at all of what's been going on in my morning. This came to me through Facebook Messenger. Here's what She wrote, I'm refraining from saying Happy New Year because it seems so superficial in a world that seems so broken. In light of the climate of the world, environmental destruction, civil unrest, political and social instability, the endemic, poor mental health, and skyrocketing suicide rates among youth, it feels at times that there is so little light. And although we have hope for the next world, I'm wondering if I'm not alone in needing some deep level guidance on how to stay strong in our everyday when the darkness is so pervasive. I get that we should do the obvious external actions like connecting with our church community in prayer, which of course is powerful. But I think we could all do with a sermon on the reality of this broken world right now. We need words of encouragement. And I'm really feeling the heaviness and weight of the world today. And I'm lamenting how defeating it feels in the here and now. Know what I mean? I went, yeah, I know what you mean. Because I've been wrestling with that for the last couple of hours. I know what she means. And you're sitting there this morning, I bet, knowing what she means. I felt pretty sure having received that message that the Lord had prompted her to write to me so that I would feel confident that I was on the right track in preaching these two verses, rather than starting that new series. So the goal in approaching these two verses this Sunday is this, to gain perspective, to gain perspective on the difficulties that we face as Christians. Because every difficulty you face in life as a Christian Every difficulty you face in life as a Christian is purposeful and beneficial. Purposeful and beneficial. So let's get right into it. In terms of perspective, we have to start with the idea, as Paul does in these verses, that every difficulty is a light, momentary affliction. Let me say that again, every difficulty we face in life as Christians is a light, momentary affliction. Now, if you hear that and you don't think that that's controversial, if you don't think that that's actually a shocking statement, then there's something about it you're not quite getting. As Christians, a lot of what we believe is controversial, a lot of what we believe as Christians is shocking to those who do not have the Holy Spirit, but to say that every difficulty we go through is light, is momentary, certainly amplifies how shocking and controversial Christian life can be. Because even this global pandemic, with all of its attendant effects, is a light, momentary affliction. Now does it feel controversial and a bit shocking? That's the way Paul starts out here. He uses the phrase, And we're going to talk about what the the affliction is for him in particular, but he says for this light momentary affliction, he's building off of things he's been saying in the entire letter. There's a richness and an interconnectedness to all of this that we don't really have time to get into here. And I would really commend to you, read at least all of chapter 4, and that should whet your appetite, even with some other things I'm going to say here, to read the entire letter and to see everything that Paul is saying here. But what what he's really teaching, what he's saying to his readers with this letter is that the afflictions he was facing as a minister of the gospel were purposeful and for his benefit. that it was his, his suffering and not his success that was accomplishing these things in his life. His suffering, not a success. And we get this backwards all the time. We think success. We think blessing. That's the thing that's beneficial. That's the thing that's purposeful in our life. And then the Christian life, very often that is not true. It's suffering, it's affliction, it's difficulties that we go through, just as Paul was. And his readers were doubting that. That's why he's writing this letter. Paul had experienced tremendous suffering as an apostle. And so what we need to understand is this is not a throwaway comment for Paul. This isn't just someone who's saying, hey, you know what? Every time you go through hardship in your life, you know, it's, it should be beneficial. It's going, to be, it's going to be something that's good for you. And we all just need to receive this as Christians. It's not a throwaway comment. This is not just a, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to just suck it up. Because Paul had actually suffered. Paul had experienced tremendous difficulty. This isn't a throwaway comment. This isn't just some, you know, kind of just like uh, happy saying he's throwing out there, something preachers say to get people's attention. He had firsthand experience with it. In fact, if you're jotting down notes, jot down this reference from the same letter, Second Corinthians, in chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, he actually details many of the hardships that he went through it's kind of an alarming list. I mean, if anyone's qualified in the scriptures to write and say that every difficulty we go through is light and momentary, it's probably Paul. He documents in those verses beatings, scourging that he went through, imprisonment. He says a lot of times I was hungry, I was thirsty. He said I was out in the cold. Facing exposure. He faced hardships in terms of uh, robbers, always feeling threatened. There were times he had to cross through rivers and felt like he was going to get swept downstream. And all of this for the cause of preaching the gospel, starting churches, leading people to Jesus. And, And when you read the list, And you realize that just a few chapters before in the same letter, he's talking about light, momentary afflictions. You realize how uniquely qualified he is to say such a thing. And I have to confess, I don't think I'd be as resolved as he was. I mean, I'm not sure that if someone took a rod and beat me over the back with it, that I would say that that was a light momentary affliction. I don't think that if I had been lashed 40 times less one, 39 times, where my flesh is opening up on my, on my body, I'm not sure I would say that that was a light momentary affliction. You know what I'm talking about? Would you? Would you? If I had to cross another river where I felt I was going to be swept downstream, if I knew that there were robbers around the next bend, if I knew that pretty much everybody in the town I'm going into is going to hate what I say, and I could be facing another night in prison, if I was constantly hungry, constantly thirsty, nowhere to sleep, out in the cold, Year after year after year of that. And Paul dares to say a light momentary affliction. I'm not sure I would be as resolute as him. I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. But here's what I know. God matches the intensity of the trial with grace equal to the moment. Whatever that trial is for you. God matches the intensity of whatever trial you're going through with grace equal to the moment. He did that for Paul. He'll do that for you. And Paul was no less human than you and I. Paul too might have thought, I couldn't go through all of that. But God gave him the grace to make it through every time. Later in the very same letter, Paul records God saying this to him. This is in chapter 12, verse 9. My grace, he says, God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, what's the word there? Weakness. Weakness. Just a verse later, Paul says this great declaration when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. So grace and power come in proportion to the affliction and the weakness. God will be there to strengthen every one of us, no matter what the difficulty or affliction might be for us. All right, that's the first one. Seems like enough, but let's keep going see this next, every difficulty you face in life as a Christian is preparing you for something better. So let's just do a little survey right now. Just let me ask this question. Who thinks, who in the room right here, if you're at home, you can raise your hand for this as well. Who here in the room thinks that your life could be better? Just raise your hand if you think your life could be better. Is there some of you that didn't raise your hand? You think your life is like completely perfect right now? or you just don't ever raise your hand in church. And that's fine. There's not a person drawing a breath right now on this earth whose life couldn't be better. Because life on earth is inherently flawed. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. Now, for some people, the need seems to be greater. There are some people who just look at their life and go, you know what, things are really hard right now, so my life definitely could be better. And there are some people who the blessing is rolling and things are good at home and you have a job and, you know, things are not too bad. So you're just going like, I don't want to ask for more. I just think my life's pretty good right now. But when you step back and look at it, even if your life is like completely a 10 on the awesome scale... Because you're here on planet Earth, I'm just telling you, it could be better. It could be better. Because we're all broken, and we're all hurting to some degree. And that came to light again this week. I received a text on Wednesday. The person said this, I need prayer. Or is it that everyone needs prayer? COVID, stress, lockdowns. Then my friend got COVID and is getting worse. Her husband gave it to her, and obviously, he feels very guilty. Then one of my coworkers, who I love dearly, calls me at midnight saying her roommate and friend is dead. Overdose, suicide, been threatening it for a while. I rushed over to be there. I can't believe she called me when I haven't even known her for four weeks. So, I'm a mess. there has to be something better, right? Because the thing is, that's just one text on Wednesday. But just in this city, in Simcoe County, in our area, thousands of such texts were sent out this week. Thousands of people had bad days and bad situations and hardships hit them. Tragedy striking. That's just one city, one county, and an entire world filled with people who had rotten Wednesdays. There has to be something better. And the something better that Paul's talking about here is not something better here. It's not something better on planet Earth. The best that we can hope for here on planet earth is still pretty lame. The best that we can hope for here on planet earth is still at some point going to disappoint us or hurt us. What God is doing through the difficulties we face, verse 17 continues, what God is doing through all of these challenges is preparing us, preparing for us, an eternal weight of glory. We have to get past this idea that this life is the end game. This life is not the end game. The preparation is about increasing our faith and our dependence on Christ. It's about greater application of the gospel in our lives. A.W. Tozer said this, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like. Everything happening to me is not, it's not intended to make me more successful. It's not intended to make me more wealthy. It's not intended to make me more healthy, physically, mentally, or otherwise. Okay? Everything that's happening to me is to make me more Christ-like And when I understand that, Tozer says, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. That anxiety, by the way, is caused in the midst of difficulties because I'm in this place where I think I deserve something other than what I'm currently going through, and I'm anxious about it. And anxiety, by the way, is self-defeating. Because all it does is create more problems, mentally, physically, spiritually, relationally, all of it. And so I need to understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ like. It's going to resolve a great deal of anxiety in my life. So when someone texts me and says, I'm a mess, I have several things I want to say to them on the basis of what we're reading here. The first is, I am too. We all are. That's the state, okay? I'm a mess is the state of every honest human being, but listen, it's also the state of all the dishonest ones, correct? In other words, we're all broken. We're all struggling with things. We're all a mess, And so let's get that identifying with one another down first. And then second of all, to say this, that mess is preparing you for something great. So listen, don't resist the mess. Don't resist the mess. Part of the challenge that we've had over the last almost two years now, part of the challenge we've had is that Christians have become so distracted by the mess of this pandemic, that they've been fighting the pandemic itself. And God's saying to you, hey, listen, don't you know I sent that? So y'all could be more Christ-like? Isn't that why we go through these difficulties and these challenges? Don't resist the mess. Lean into the mess. Lean right into it. God, you said this. I'm looking in every aspect of what God is doing through this pandemic. I'm looking for God to teach me. How do I need to be more like Jesus in the midst of this? So you're a mess. I'm a mess. The mess is preparing us for something awesome and great. Thirdly, I've already kind of said this. You're becoming like Christ through it. That's really the goal is how can I be more like Jesus? And then fourth. When we have that, that reveals his glory in us and assures us of seeing his glory for all eternity. And this is so important for us to grasp this point. We need to grasp it, listen, for our own well-being. Our own well-being mentally, spiritually, socially, even physically, we need to grasp these lessons. We need to understand who we are, to have our identity locked in on Christ. That's going to boost our faith. Not to mention that this speaks also to our purpose as Christians. What mission are we on? Because when we start to grasp all of it, we understand the end game is not about this life, the end game is about being like Jesus and seeing Him, it's about eternity. We need to grasp the truth about these difficulties. We need to affirm our own purpose on this gospel mission. And this is really the key to getting our eyes off of our difficulties and onto something greater. Something that survives our fleeting life here. In fact, Paul was, was given a vision, and uh, unlike any of us, all we have is we're able to read about a little bit about his vision, not really much at all. But Paul had the advantage of actually having a vision of eternity. And again, in chapter 12 of this same letter, see why I want you to read the whole thing? Because it's just so awesome. But he he writes, he says, he was caught up to paradise. And when he was in paradise, he heard, he wrote this, he heard inexpressible things. I mean, Paul didn't even have the ability to write about the awesomeness of the inexpressible things that he had seen in this vision, indescribable, glorious, eternal things. That's what you and I need to have our focus on as we go through our messy lives. Well, then Paul goes on to say that this difficulty we're facing, whatever it is, is only to be weighed against God's glory. We saw that phrasing in in the last phrase. He goes on to say that the eternal weight of glory, verse 17 continues now, is beyond all comparison. It's beyond all comparison. So whatever we're going to look at in life, let's weigh that out against the glory of God. Now the thing is, as human beings... We are all about comparing. We do it every day. In fact, if you go all the way back to the origins of humanity and the creation, you go right back to the creation story. The very first problem we encounter is one of comparison. Satan uses it to tempt the first man and woman to say to them, you know, if you eat... You shall be as God. Compare your life to God. You could have that, he says. A little later on, same book, Genesis. A little bit later on, people of the world, they're building a whole society for themselves. They decide to build a tower. Look how awesome we are. We're going to build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. Again, still comparing themselves to God. That didn't... Turn out too well for them. Fast forward to Israel. God sets them up as a theocracy. You don't need a king. In essence, you don't need like the kind of government that other countries have because you have me. The, the temple itself, the tabernacle, that'll be, that'll be the place where we meet. No, we want to be like the other nations. We're comparing ourselves to them. Just give us a king like they have. And this is the whole history of humanity, comparing ourselves to others. Get to the New Testament. Here's Jesus. He handpicks 12 disciples to walk with him through life and to learn about the kingdom of God. What an awesome privilege to have been one of the 12. Enter from stage left, James and John's mom. Hey, Jesus. You think my boys could be one and two? Because I'm comparing them to the other 10 guys, and I think they're way better. We compare all the time. We're all about comparison, and it's, it's killing us. It's crippling us. We compare, we compare, we compare. It's our terrible human tendency. We compare our children, we compare our spouses, we compare our jobs, we compare our houses and neighborhoods, our friendships and churches. We compare just about anything that can be compared. Paul says when we compare our difficulties to anything other than God's glory when we compare our difficulties to someone else's difficulties, when we compare their blessings to our blessings, when we compare our challenges to the way our life was before, when when we compare where we are now to where we think we should be, there's no end to the comparisons we can make. But when we compare any of it, to anything other than God's glory, we set our sights so low that we shackle ourselves to the temporal. We shackle ourselves to human standards that are as nothing to God. God's saying, aim higher. Aim all the way to the very top, right into eternity. Evaluate everything in light of the glory of God. The highest possible standard for everything. And when you do, you'll see that every difficulty you face in life as a Christian, ready for this next one, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to exercise or abandon your faith. So verse 17 kind of sets us up. We now move into verse 18, and Paul starts it with the word as, or And this is to really set up like a condition of how this is really going to play out in our lives. Other translations put, provided we or while we do this next thing. So you have this very real sense as you read the text here that this is only going to happen if we do what Paul says next. That's the condition attached to getting to this place where we will see the anticipated glory of God in our lives. And it is that, notice verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Now a bit more context to this letter, Paul was facing criticism and the difficulty that he's talking about here, the afflictions that he's talking about here, was because he was suffering so much. The other Christians were looking at him, the people in Corinth were looking at him going, yeah, like I know you're an apostle, I know you were called by Jesus, but you've you've just faced so much opposition, you've faced so much trauma in your life. I mean, it's hard to believe that God is really sanctioning all of this. Paul, in other words, you must be doing something wrong. Similar to what you would read, by the way, in the Old Testament with Job. Job's getting pummeled by Satan, testing him and taking everything away from him. And his friends and his wife come in and they're all saying, Job, you must have done something wrong, dude. No one suffers this much and is actually right with God. You must have done something wrong to be so afflicted. This can't be what God intends because God actually intends for you to be healthy, wealthy, and to prosper, and that is wrong on so many levels. So much nonsense in that. But here's the thing. David Garland said this. Their culture, the culture of Paul and Job, their culture had conditioned them to see and appreciate only a counterfeit glory and honor. So these Corinthian believers who thought Paul was suffering a little bit too much, it was because their value system took them there. The culture had taken them there to see and appreciate only a counterfeit glory and honor. And our culture is the same. Job's culture was the same. We're so success-oriented. We're so much about building wealth about getting check marks beside absolutely everything in our lives. We're missing the point. Paul's response, in essence, is you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. It was true for Job's friends and his wife. They were only looking at what they could see, in Paul's case, what the Corinthians and others could see were, were the wounds on his back from the from the whippings. Perhaps how unhealthy he looked because of the lack of food and, and because of uh, the, the nights out in the cold, the time spent in prison. That's all they could see. Paul, look at yourself, man. Look in a mirror. You don't look good. That's all they could see. With Job, all they could see was the boils. All they could see was the fact that he was poor now. All they could see was the fact that he had lost his entire family. In our case, what do we see? Well, we see restrictions. We see masks. We see distancing. We see that we don't have all the chairs in the room. We see that there's a lot of empty spaces. And we remember back two years ago when this room was full. We see the people who have lost jobs. We see the, the, the mental anguish some are going through. We see the loss of social connections and relationships. We only, we only comment, we only notice the things that we can see. All we can see is that people are getting sick. Well, God is not restricted. And God is not susceptible to the virus. And God is not susceptible to mental anguish. Paul's writing all of this so we can be encouraged to look at our God. In fact, again, one of the reasons why I want you to read the entire chapter, if not the whole letter, is because in the first part, in verse 1 of chapter 4, this very chapter we're looking at here, Paul says, we do not lose heart, even though we're going through all this affliction, we're not discouraged. And then to bracket his whole argument in verse 16, he says the same thing, we do not lose heart, I need you to know that though it's so hard, we're not discouraged at all by it. So to counter what Paul was hearing about his suffering, he he contrasts here the seen and the unseen. He wants his readers to understand this. Now before we go into that any deeper, let me just press pause for a second and tell you something that we... Um, It really is a theological foundation here at Harvest. It informs so much of what we see in God's word, so much of what we believe. And it's this phrase I'm going to put up on the screen here. We live in the now, but not yet. As Christians, we live in the now, but not yet. Meaning there are aspects of the kingdom of God that are now. And we ought to be living those out. The kingdom of God is about mission, to tell other people. The kingdom of God is about holy living, purity in life. We ought to be doing that. The kingdom of God is about loving one another and being in community together. Those are all principles, just three examples of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, and we should be living that out as best we can in the church as the followers of Jesus Christ. So we live in the now. But there's an aspect of the kingdom of God that is not yet. And we're awaiting its full expression, obviously. The future hope of Christ's coming, the culmination of history. The inauguration of of Christ's eternal kingdom on earth. We're waiting for that to happen. So in the meantime, we live in the tension of the now, the kingdom of God is here, and the not yet, it's not fully expressed not fully realized. We live in the tension of that. tension is such a great word because I feel like we could all acknowledge, yeah, I feel the tension of that. If you're a Christian, you should feel every day the tension of what it means to live in the now and not yet. Because there's nothing easy about living the Christian life. God asks us Requires us to live as citizens of a kingdom that we cannot see. We're asked to live as citizens of a kingdom when its full expression is not yet realized. But there remains this very harsh criticism and opposition to that kingdom here in the world. That's why we feel the tension. The world is actually against us living in this way. Yet here we are. And so, to use the language that Paul is using here, again from the Holy Spirit, Christians are called to live according to the unseen kingdom in a time and place where what is seen conflicts with it. You see why I wanted to lay that out for you? And so, this difficulty we're facing, this COVID thing with all of its varied effects on our lives, that's something that's seen. It falls under the category of what is seen. Paul says, right here in the text, we look not to the things that are seen. You and I need to respond, in fact, to everything COVID-related with the same line. We look not to the things that are seen. I have to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. I look not to the things that are seen. The mask means nothing to me. If I have to distance, so be it. It means nothing to me. I look not to the things that are seen. It's so temporal. In light of eternity, in light of the glory of God, it's nothing. I'm not looking at the things that are seen. So then what we're saying in essence is, because I get tested every time one of those things comes up in front of my eyes, And this is the point we're looking at here. This is an opportunity to exercise my faith. To believe something about God and his kingdom. To believe in something that's unseen. It's an opportunity to exercise my faith, which the preacher in Hebrews defined, and this will be a familiar verse to most of you. He defines Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things hoped. Not seen. That's where we need to live. By faith. So it's an opportunity, every affliction, an opportunity to exercise my faith as opposed to an opportunity or better, because opportunity sounds so positive, better yet a temptation to abandon my faith. Because the moment you take your eyes off of Jesus, Christians, I'm talking to you, the moment you take your eyes off of Jesus, off of eternal things, off of glorious things, and on to what you actually can see, you have either abandoned your faith or you're in the process of abandoning your faith. The drift begins. And every time something is presented before our eyes, That's the crossroads we're at. Am I gonna go this way or this way? Will it be, I'm gonna believe the unseen things or am I gonna look at this with my eyes and buy into it and head down the wrong road and abandon the faith that I have in Jesus Christ and his gospel? All right, finally this. Every difficulty you face in life as a Christian is a reminder to never trust your eyes. I feel like we just said that. And yet Paul comes back to it again in the latter part of verse 18. He repeats his main point with this universal principle. For the things that are seen are transient. This is why he's saying what he's saying. This is his rationale. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Again, human value systems that see trials and difficulties as bad things are at the root of the problem. Should I say that again? Human value systems that see trials and difficulties as bad things are at the root of the problem. We do everything as human beings to bring difficulties to an end or to avoid them altogether. This is the bubble wrap generation. We set up guardrails. We create rules. We have become so risk-averse. We bubble wrap everything. We try to avoid any kind of danger or hurt. Entire industries have been created to keep us safe. It's not a bad thing. But it's not an eternal thing. And if we do happen to run into trouble, if we do become afflicted or come against some difficulty, then we work with all of our might to bring that difficulty to an end. To end the affliction, to bring resolution. That's what we do as human beings. And it seems so right. It seems so noble. It seems like such a high value to keep people safe or if they're hurting, to bring them back to a place of healing. And it is, there's a part of that that's good. There's no doubt about it. But the reason why this world values that so highly, why that's the highest value for many is because those who don't have Christ, that's all they have. They don't have anything beyond this world. So they have to work to protect. They have to work to heal in the here and now. And we know, and Paul is writing here, and the Holy Spirit is telling us, this world is transient. We know that everything accumulated in life, everything you're going to accumulate in life is going to disappear every bit of it. We know that even our relationships, what we would count as the most precious things that we have in life. That even our closest relationships are temporal. Transient. Everything's going to disappear. We, we know all of this but we're continually being sucked back into what the world believes to look at the things we can see. We're constantly at that crossroads. There isn't a moment of our day where we're not facing that decision to either act on the basis of what we see or to act on the basis of faith. That is the daily struggle for every Christian. And so, this warning comes again from David Garland. If Christians allow themselves to continue to be seduced by such a twisted value system, they will miss the authentic glory and honor that reside less conspicuously in the hearts of those who have been beaten down by a malevolent world, but who will be raised up by God. Suffering is so visible. An inner transformation so invisible. Except to the eyes of faith. So in light of the glory of God and, and eternity, this eternity that we're heading for, Christians must see difficulty in life differently. We must see difficulties in life biblically. Our values are built not on this life, but on the basis of Jesus Christ on the basis of his gospel. Everything in our lives oriented around the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything oriented around his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and his return again in glory. That's what we orient our lives around. And by the way, everything I just mentioned his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and even his coming we haven't seen any of those things. Not a person in this room has seen any of those things. These are the things that are unseen. This is what our life must be about. Don't trust your eyes. When I shared my plan to preach this message with the elders on New Year's Day, one of them, uh, Rob, who's facing a uh, cancer battle, pretty severe cancer battle right now, reminded me and the rest of the elders in our text group, this is what he wrote to us, This world was already well broken even in the good old days we are simply seeing it more and more now and what it should be doing is stirring us from our complacency this message dovetails beautifully with what we kept hearing throughout 2021 don't be distracted focus on the mission and so what it really comes down to for you and i is is this Do you believe God or not? It speaks to our faith. He's promising you something far better than this world could ever provide us an eternal weight of glory. Everything in our lives should be measured against that. He wants you and I to keep our eyes fixed on that very prize. And yes, we need to do it to go back to that very first message. We need to do that in in all of the ordinary ways. We need to be here in worship. It's going to be so much easier for us to keep our eyes on Jesus if we make this a regular part of our week. To be here in person or to watch on the live stream or on demand, join us in the best way that you can right now. But be part of worship. Keep worshiping Jesus but also to keep walking with him through the week, to be connecting with your small group, to be connecting with other believers, to be in the word yourself, to be praying to him. There's no substitute for that. That too is gonna help you keep your eyes on the things that are unseen. It's also true that among the ordinary things that we can do is serving him. There's nothing quite so great as giving your time and using your talents to serve someone else. Because in those moments when you're doing it, the most awesome thing is you're not thinking about yourself. You're not fixated on your circumstances. You're serving someone else. And the last of the ordinary things is to witness. Be on mission to tell other people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there's a whole world out there of people we are facing all the difficulties you are, they don't have Jesus. It's sad. It just breaks my heart. We need to tell them about Jesus. Now listen, those are all the ordinary ways. Those are disciplines. Those are things we do that are going to help us to keep our eyes on Him. But none of it is of any good none of it is any help at all, not coming to worship, not serving others, not being in the Word, none of it is of any help at all if it is not coming from a place of faith. That the goal of all of these things is not to keep ourselves busy and distracted in a different, spiritualized kind of way. But for all of it to be pointing us to the things that are unseen. To keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And so I want... The team to lead us through this last song is a prayer of response. I want you to pray this as they're leading us. This is your prayer. This is your coming to Jesus moment to say to him, I'm ready to live this way. I need this. And among the lyrics that we'll hear is this. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good. And your love is great. I'm broken inside give you my life.